Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. You're listening to Griefcast with me, Carrie Adloyd. How do we grieve for someone? How does it change and evolve as we get older? My dad died when I was 15 and it took me many, many years to be able to express what I had gone through. So I decided to create Griefcast, a chance to talk, share and laugh about the weirdness of grief and death. But with comedians, so it's not that depressing, I promise. Each time I talk to a different comedian about their own personal experience of grief as we remember someone that they have lost along the way. Whether it was a long time ago or you've just joined the club, this is a chance to talk about the peculiar human process of death. Welcome to Griefcast. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss plushcare.com slash weight loss hold up what was that boring no flavor that was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week kiki palmer here and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free hello fresh jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi now that's music to my mouth hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. 
For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Thank you for listening. Uh, we had some more nice news this week, which is really appreciated when you do a weekly show about death. We have been nominated for two Mixed Cloud Awards in Rising Star and Best Comedy. Very exciting. Also to be nominated for Best Comedy. Very exciting. And because we've been nominated, you can also vote for us on the Listener's Choice Award. If you head to Mora, M-O-R-A dot F-M, and click on the Best Online Talk Show category, uh, Griefcast should come up. And it's also the last week you can vote for us in the British Podcast Awards for listeners. Listener's choice. If you head to British Podcast Awards forward slash nominations 2018, you can vote for us there. Sorry for all the admin. And thank you so much for listening to these conversations. Um, you know, we wouldn't be nominated for so many listeners' choices if you weren't. So thank you. This week's guest is journalist and author Clover Stroud. Clover has written for The Times, The Telegraph, The Spectator, Elle magazine, as well as writing several books. Her latest one is called The Wild Other and has just come out in paperback. It's a memoir of her life and her experience living with grief and trauma. Clover came in to talk to me about her mother, who suffered horrific brain damage from a riding accident when Clover was a teenager, and her mother's eventual death in 2013. Welcome to Griefcast. I'm here today with journalist and writer Clover Stroud. Hello. Hi. hi We're moaning about the weather. That's all we've done mainly so far. Well, we've got something to moan about with the weather today. I felt that today. I I was... I was upset it was so cold, but also I was like, oh, I'm going to get some good weather chat today. I'm going to have with everybody, bus drivers, people on the tube, going to get a lot. No, I think we're more obsessed. This this winter, the end of oh, this winter yeah, has made yeah. us, as a nation, way more obsessed by the weather than ever before. It's snow in March. I know. And a heat wave. I know. Now this. <laughs> it's like... Everything rolled into one. Um, you must have had a busy morning because Clover, you have five children. I've got five kids, yeah. So before coming up here, and I live in Oxfordshire, they all had to be got off to their various schools. They're ranging from 17. My eldest is 17 and my youngest is just over one. So there's quite a kind of range of needs that have to be sick. dealt with. It makes me feel sick. <laughs> like, because I have <clears throat> one, and as we said, she's just over one. Mm. I just, the idea of having to get some one of them to school and then nurse, like, what's what for you? You're doing school? So the the old Jimmy gets on a, um, he goes on a, I have to drive him to go and get on his bus to go to his oh sixth form God. college. And then my daughter, Dolly, she gets on the bus literally just outside the house, which is great. great. That's great. And then the three little ones are at, ones that, you know, the primary school in the village and another one's at preschool and then the last one is actually still at home. So, um, yeah, it's lots of different, you know, a kind of tsunami of different (laughs) (laughs) amounts of shoes, school bags, packed lunches. It's really chaotic. It's really hectic the morning. But I do quite like it as well. I quite like the intensity of I have to get up and then I have to like, if anybody else is doing it, like if my husband is trying yeah. to, so you have to, once you get up, you just have to go and you have to keep going. You can't stop. You can't yeah. pause in order to get them all to, you know, but to you the right must, places. But you must like, there must be a bit of you that does like it because mm, I think definitely. it's too mad a life to choose by like being like, oh, I, <laughs> I don't really like chaos or children. But <laughs> <laughs> No, I do. I really, I think I, I mean, I, I think that I like the idea idea of order and that I want everything yeah. to be in a certain way but I 
don't actually. I really like chaos. And when I had, I had two kids in my um, 20s and then I got divorced and then I met my husband now and we started having more children. And somebody said, well, you could just have like had one child. You could have, have, have one, like another extra, three. Yeah, yeah. And I had, and after I had the fourth, we had two boys and two girls. And lots of people said at that point, oh, it's so, you know, it's symmetrical. <laughs> it's really neat. But in a way, I kind of wanted to mess it up, mess I suppose. Up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I like that feeling that it's, um, it's all coming at you in a big way. And yeah. I think that that's partly, a, I mean, I'm one of five, I'm the youngest of five. So okay, it's so you, okay, so you are kind of, did you mm. feel then was a bit of you that like, oh, there's not me yet. Like I've got four, I'm the youngest of five, like where's the clover in this situation? No, I don't, I've never, I haven't actually ever thought of that. I just had, once I had the fourth, even though I was really, really tired and I, <laughs> you know, I had had some postnatal depression as well. Yeah. So I kind of, it hasn't all been straightforward. I'm lucky I had, um, I've had five really good births, but I have had difficulties with the whole kind yeah. of maternal role. But after the fourth, I just thought, oh, there's, there's like room for another one, definitely. <laughs> and actually I was at a party on, it was my dad's 70th on, um, Saturday and somebody had a newborn baby and I held it and that smell oh, of a no. baby's head is so dangerous. See, I know mums have said that to me before, but I don't, I def, I don't have that yet. Like if I see a newborn, I'm like, <laughs> like imagine the screaming. Like I'm still, I'm still too like what's the word? Like still shell shocked from the war. Like yeah, I'm not, yeah, I'm not past it yet. Not past it. Yeah, it's still very close. Mm. It's still a bit too near. Um, so your life is pretty chaotic anyway. But <laughs> who are we remembering today specifically? Well, specifically, um, it's my mum. Right. And um, her kind of story is a very, very strange one. And my relationship with grieving and grief is a very strange one as well because mum died in 2013 and so that was relatively recently. But when I was 16 and I'm 43 now, um, I grew up in, in the countryside and had this really wonderful kind of you know, pretty idyllic childhood mm. with ponies and and very loving, warm mother. Big chaotic, you know, yeah. big chaotic family life. And then, um, but we grew up with ponies. And then, mum was riding when I was sixteen. I'd gone off to school. I was in the first term of my A levels, and she fell off her horse on some concrete on an old airfield, and she was then in a coma for sort of three, four months. When she woke up, it was um, it wasn't like. You know, it wasn't as you see... Somebody waking up from a coma in real life is not the way it's presented in movies at all. It's a very slow process. But she, when she woke up, it became slowly clear because to start with, you know, the fact that she had she had sort of come back to life as it were mm. we th- we felt we can look after her and we were told that she had very profound brain damage but um we thought with the right amount of love and rehabilitation and care from us she would be able to live with us and we would be able to you know some version of her would come back but she it became clear I mean she came to live with us for the initially and I was um so you were 16? I was 16 yeah. and, and my sister Nell was like 18 at the time So and my eldest brothers and sisters had left home at that point and my dad actually always worked in London and, and we were at home in the country. So basically Nell and myself were at home with mum on our own with kind of nurses and carers because she needed full-time yeah. nursing care and she had... Um, Although, I mean, she was very strange because she could stand up and she could walk around and she could, like, lift up a cup of tea and drink a cup of tea, but she didn't 
she did these. These was these are sort of automatic impulse. Yeah. Like she could get into a car and put a seatbelt on. So the first time she got into a car, I thought we thought, oh, this is extraordinary. She's, okay. she's going to get better. Yeah. You know, it's going to be a long, slow process, but she's going to get a, she's going to get better. And she lived at home for two years, and I was doing my A levels, and it was pretty crazy time. We had. Like, different people would come and help look after because she was kind of, like, doubly incontinent. She was epileptic. Oh she couldn't um, talk or communicate in any way at all. So she couldn't write. She couldn't point to anything. She couldn't, you know, she couldn't do, like, the most basic sign mm. language to say, yeah. I'm cold. You know, she couldn't point to a heater or a drink saying she yeah. was thirsty or whatever. But um, we kind of battled on and, and then it became clear after about two years and we were all really, really falling apart at the seams, as you can probably imagine, yeah. that she needed really specialist help. So then she went into a um, rehabilitation centre, full-time rehabilitation centre. And um, and then she lived in institutions for the next uh, 22 years until wow. until she died in 2013. And she... I mean, part of mum's kind of tragedy, really, a big part of her tragedy was that she she did have some kind of awareness. It's very difficult mm. to know what she really understood or what she didn't understand because she couldn't communicate. I mean, she couldn't communicate at all. <laughs> and um, that never came back? There never any never, sort of ever, system developed? or No. I mean, the nurses that knew her very, very, very well, yeah. who lived, you know, who looked after her, and she was really, really beautifully looked after in incredible Sue Ryder nursing home for a while. Um, there was a nursing home in Wiltshire near where we lived, and she, the 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 predominantly female nurses who looked after her were just so wonderful and they said they could kind of understand if she was uncomfortable yeah. they could kind of see from her you know her gestures that she might be uncomfortable but she she couldn't she basically couldn't communicate anything at all and also when I was so when I was at university about four years after she had the accident she uh, was in a rehab centre in Kent and she, she, so she did, but she did have some kind of awareness. Like mm. the only thing that she ever communicated about a couple of years after the accident, she drew a picture of a horse's head and she, you know, she was riding when the accident happened and she wrote underneath it, I wrecked myself. So she did, she knew oh, that something had, had happened. Yeah. But it was like you'd walk into the room to see her and she would sort of look at you and sometimes a look of some kind of recognition would pass her face. But then she would just look away and... But when when she was um, a few years after the accident, she was in this rehabilitation centre and she got her hands on some drugs because she was on a lot of anticonvulsants mm. and lots of different medications. She took a big overdose and she was then in a coma again and she then... Um, was even more disabled. Then she was like, f couldn't really walk after that. That was in when I was about 20. So, you know, mum was in this. She had been a very charismatic, very in amazing, loving mm. woman. And then really, you know, pretty much overnight, she was kind of reduced to this real shell of the person that she had been. And so that was this... That was, you know, that's the grief that I suppose that I've yeah. lived with. So for 22 years. Yeah. It's a huge amount of time. Yes, that was, I mean... Like, how was... did you... I was like, oh, there's so much to unpack. Like, <laughs> so when you were 16 and mm. it happened, and so my dad died when I was 15, mm. so, like, I know that sort of teenage, not quite what well, I had, not quite understanding. Like, how were you... At school, do you remember being like, "Oh, this is just how"? Or were you? Do you think you were just in, sort of in shock? Because when I look back on it, I find it 
and I've you know I've written about this in depth. Yeah. And I found it interesting how much I could remember when I really sat oh, kind of quietly yeah. writing. I could remember stuff, but when I actually think very very deeply about the first few years, it's kind of like a you know quite big blur really because I think that when you've been through something very very traumatic I do think your brain sort of stops you remembering it doesn't want to go back to that place and I know that you know even talking about it now I can feel kind of the impulse of tears you know that feeling Mm, of tears there it's all the the pain of it and and what happened in those first few years is is absolutely with me and part of me and so but but at 16 um I mean, I was in the first term of my A-levels. Mm. It was in November that it happened. And so I just started at this sixth form college. And um, Were you at school when you found out? Yeah, I was in school. I mean, I remember it really clearly. <clears throat> yeah. I was in a lesson and my sister arrived, turned up and said, oh, mum's had this accident. And when you're around horses a lot, you're, you know, lots of people have accidents, yeah. break legs, break arms. It's not unusual. And... Um, so I remember thinking, oh, you know, I said to Nell, my sister, oh, is it a bad accident? Does she? How is? Do you think she'll? Will she, will she be sitting up when we get there? You know what? And Nell had already seen her actually that mm. morning, and she was totally unconscious and covered in blood. She was oh, coming God. out of this co- cottage hospital where she'd been taken to initially, before she went to the hospital in um, Bristol, and she was unconscious from the moment of the accident. And so wow. Nell kind of had a you know, an understanding of... I mean, none of us knew what we were facing at that point, but she knew that it was a pretty appalling accident. And I remember that day really very, very clearly of... um, being with my family and driving to Bristol, uh, to the the hospital, being driven to Bristol, and kind of, you know, going into intensive care and suddenly seeing mum, who was... It was the sort of thing, you know... I don't know if you had this when you were younger, but I really remember as a child thinking... Oh, I wonder what it's like being called out of lessons to be told your parents have been killed. <laughs> it's almost like a sort of like weird kind yeah. of fantasy of horror that yeah, you have and yeah. then it actually happens to you. And um, it's funny actually because my son, who's 17, is now at the same sixth form college where oh, I wow. was. And at his parents' evening the other day, I went up to the very classroom where oh. I had been. Oh my God. And, you know, it's almost like you're immediately transported back yeah. into the moment. And it was very strange being there with Jimmy, who's like... You know, my big, lovely, tall, 17-year-old son and we were sort of having quite a laugh together and then suddenly I was I was back as the 16-year-old in the room. Did you tell him? Did you say? Yeah, yeah, uh... yeah. No, we, we talked about it a lot because also he's grown up with me. You know, I've carried this. Yeah, of course. And he knew mum as well. Obviously, he, he, was, he was born in 2000, so he was 13 when she died. So wow. he, as a child, would come and visit her and come and see her a lot. So, so he, and he obviously knew that I, um, that I had had this, this, you know, very loving relationship. Mm. But, then he, but then the strange thing was his grandmother was always this very, very, very brain-damaged lady in yeah, a nursing yeah. home. So it was quite a big moment in a way that going back yeah, it's God. almost like going back to the scene of the crime yeah. where where I was when it happened. I think when something big and traumatic has happened to you, you do remember you know you remember mm. exactly what you were doing at that at that moment. You probably remember exactly where you were when your dad died, where you hurt Yeah, when you oh hurt. yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. And I I was again writing about it the other day and I had to remember when they sort of told me. And in my head, I was like, oh, I can't remember. And then immediately I was like on the sofa in the living room and I could see where he was sitting. Yeah. And I was like, oh, I can remember, yeah. but I don't want to remember yeah. because I remember it, like you said, the similar situation. Like I had a very idyllic childhood and, you know, it was 
suburbs, but it was very lovely. Yes. And everything was basically fine. Yeah. And I remember that feeling of like your world sort of going like, like just not upside down, but it was like 45 degrees. Yeah. Like, oh, everything's not where it should be. And yeah. that makes me feel very like, and I was describing this today, like, like being in the deep end, like you go to put your foot down, you're like, oh, the yeah. floor isn't there, is it? Yeah. I thought the floor was there. Yeah. So then you feel a bit like, oh shit, where's the? F- I'm I'm in too deep. <laughs> like, well, I thought I was in the shallow end. Like, yeah, suddenly no, I not. So exactly in that moment that life profoundly changes. Oh god, yeah. And I think that it does for. I think that moment basically comes to everybody at some mm. point. You're very lucky. I think so. If you get to be, you know, a grown up adult and it have, hasn't happened. Although I think. You know, there's something almost a bit weird about sometimes when you meet people who everything has been relatively straightforward. Oh God, you know, there might people. have been a divorce. I there might find have been those people so strange. But there yeah. hasn't been the big thing. Yeah. And, a, and, a, and a good friend of mine um, has had something very, very bad happen to her recently. And we were talking about it and we were, we were saying she life has changed profoundly, but it's like being given the kind of, how do we describe it, the truth or something. It's yeah. like there is something which is, I mean, it's it's horrific, it's terrifying, but there is almost like a gift or something mm. in it. Sometimes I wonder whether that's me telling myself that to, in order to kind of yeah. make it less painful I have that because I'm very I try and be very positive about it and Mm. I'm like you know I learned at 15 what some people learn at 40 Mm. that death Mm. comes to us all Mm. and we're all we're all going to get there and then I'm like are you just spinning it because otherwise it's so shit (laughs) that happened to you like I think it's both true like yeah yeah there is a spin to it because otherwise well you just be this is awful it's the human desire to want to because we have to keep going yeah Yeah, yeah. we have to keep going but also there is a truth to it like people I know what you mean. I met someone once. Well, once I met someone recently, and they said, "Oh, I've never lost anyone." And I thought, and they were older than me, and I was like, "What the fuck? Uh, like, <laughs> what do you mean? Like, literally, what are you telling me? Like, a family pet is the most you've dealt." And I just couldn't get my. And then actually, I think for most people, I think if they say that, it's not true. I think there is. They they often their friends' mum or their friends' dad. Like, yeah. But they protect themselves. They, yeah. they they their spin is I'm I'm safe. I didn't get touched by yeah. it. And you're like. We all do. We all know. Yeah. You know, like somebody who somebody something all like that's no, we're all in the same village, definitely. basically. And I think being able to talk about it and share it yeah. and is is really, really important. And basically it's been my way of kind of surviving it actually. God, and yeah. throughout my teenage and twenties and thirties and, and now is often trying to seek out the people who you can have the conversation yeah. with and the dialogue about what has happened oh, and God, what has yeah. kind of gone before and how because also, once it's happened, and if you've got, you know, as most of us have, got people in our lives, friends, relatives, partners, children, whatever, who we love, you know, mm. you don't have to be related to them by yeah, blood, yeah. but the people that we love, we're going to lose, you know, we're all going to go through it. We're all going to lose people. We're all going to be bereaved. We're all going to face difficult stuff. And, you know, sometimes I look at the future and I think, shit, you know, what, what is that? <laughs> <laughs> What's oh, that c- coming? And there's in in the last year in my own life personally, there's been some quite major, major, more big traumas and tragedies, and that was a kind of real stumbling block for me actually, because I sort of I didn't expect these think these big things to be happening right now as well, and um, and knowing that it's life, you know, mm. it is life, it is part of being human as well. I think it's so important to acknowledge that. It's like it's just the job. That mm. is it. Yeah. But we, I, Julia Samuels, who I talk about a lot, the grief psychotherapist, mm. um, and she said something to me, which was like, 
why do you think you don't get pain? She was like, what made, you know, everybody gets pain. Yeah. What, what made you think you wouldn't? And yeah. I was like, oh, yeah, I just don't like it. It's like, yeah. yeah, you don't like, sure, you don't like it. But that is the job of being human. That's, it's, yeah. It's 50% awful, 50% brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. you just try and make the brilliant percentage over as much as possible. Mm. But um, So to go back a bit, so she mm. was... um. So, you know, you had your kids while she was in the institution. Yeah, yeah. How was that, becoming a mother without her, uh, without her, her being there, around? But also she, I mean, yeah. that's a really difficult situation. Yeah, it was. So mum, the grief for mum was like carrying this um, this long-term trauma and grief. It was like frozen grief. But, but with the kids, I found being pregnant and having children without her there was like one of the hardest yeah. things that I have ever done. And I found it increasingly difficult with oh, each really? child as well. And also because she was a really... Um, she loved babies, she loved childbirth, she loved the whole stuff of, of you know, small... Especially babies. And yeah. she used to say when I was growing up, oh, you know, I can't wait for you to have children and we'll be at the, there'll be so many wonderful things that we can share together. Yeah. And going through that process without her has been, has been really difficult. And I have... I feel really lucky because she gave me a kind of um she put into my head the idea that childbirth and pregnancy could be a really really wonderful thing yeah. and i think that because i was so wanting to carry something of her forward mm. that i really have held on to that and i was really i've been really lucky to have had i had five really good births which i'm really grateful for i mean i have had problems as well i've had miscarriages and things it hasn't all been straightforward and then with my third and fourth i had I had postnatal depression as well, where I felt really, really bleak for quite a long time. And I think that that was, that was, um, I mean, my, my two, so my two eldest kids I had in my 20s and my, my life at that point was really quite chaotic. By the age of 27, 28, I was like, I had a toddler and a newborn baby and I was a single mother, basically. So I had to just kind of keep motoring onwards. I couldn't, like, look around me. And I think yeah. I don't think I had postnatal depression in my 20s. I might have done, but I was so... Well, yeah, we were saying earlier yeah. before we started recording that sometimes if other stuff's going on, it's hard to know. Yeah. Because I definitely think I did have something, but when there's other stuff happening at the same time, it's really mm. hard to separate. And I can imagine... Especially if you'd already dealt, well, you were dealing with the trauma of your mother. The the trauma of yeah. I mean, she you, was still alive. Yeah, at that that's point. what I mean. So yeah. she's still alive. Yeah. You're now a single mother. You've got. To, I guess maybe you just went. I'm just not going to think about this. <laughs> just going to get up and get dressed. Like I had to, and I had to. I was just starting out as a freelance journalist then, and I had to kind of like. I just had to keep going. And yeah. then when I had my daughter, who's now five, Evangeline, in my 30s, after I'd met my second husband, and I was really, you know, life was ostensibly, everything was really good. Mm. Um, I, I met a really nice guy. Did that scare you? you well, definitely. Either I had this beautiful little baby girl, and then I had this really, really, like, real deep melancholy and deep grief, I mm. suppose, come over me in the form of postnatal depression. And I think it, and I did feel like everyone kept saying to me, oh, you know, we're so, I'm so happy for you. Everything's finally worked out. Yeah. It's almost like saying, your life was such a mess before. <laughs> but now, look, it's all good and it's all great. And so you feel this like real sense of, yeah, pressure, I think, yeah. to, to kind of really enjoy it and really be happy. And, and everything is so, so wonderful now. Um, and it and was. And also, have you been but... carrying... That, I mean, that's such a lot to carry around with you. And yeah, I think also when you have yeah. a baby, the other thing that happens is if you have a bit more time. Yeah. Like suddenly, you know, you, you're a bit 
oh, I don't have to do that thing today. So all those thoughts that you're like, don't deal with that, yeah. bubble up a bit. Well, you also have all that time of being on your own with the yeah, baby. You spend yeah. a hell of a lot of time on your own, don't mm. you? Whatever way you're feeding, you're still going to be sitting there on a sofa or in bed yeah, or whatever yeah. on your own with this with this little child. And that kind of... Um, I got really hit really hard by this feeling of their happiness, these children's happiness is in my hands. Mm. I didn't worry about whether I could... You know, I didn't worry about them, you know, their sort of health and stuff like that. But it was like their mental health I mm. kept thinking about. And also I've got to make them make the kind of texture of their childhood and the memory of their, what their so earliest much memories so, so much, much pressure. pressure. I can't imagine with five. Like, you spend off with one thinking, <laughs> I got, like, this is, cause, because you remember things as a child and you start realising... You know, those things that you were like, oh, that's weird. Why are my parents doing that? Like, that's now you. Yeah. You're now responsible. Like you yeah. said, I think that's such a good way of putting it. The texture of their childhood is It like, feels so loaded, doesn't oh, it? And God, also because yeah. it's so precious. You know, childhood yeah. is so precious. And it's so kind of fleeting as well. Yeah. And realising, you know, yeah, I've got to, like, make the memories for them. The thing is, I think we put so much pressure on ourselves yeah. as well. I mean, of course we do. We know mothers, we all put loads and loads of pressure on ourselves. But do you feel, but, and this is classic carried cod psychology, but, like, like, because you had this lovely idyllic childhood and then that event happened. Yeah. Do you feel this pressure to try and make that idyllic? Oh my God, I completely have been driven absolutely crazy by trying yeah. to chasing after that idyllicness and chasing what after you it had, and trying yeah. to. And for when I had my eldest two, I was living in Oxford and. Um, it was, we actually had a, I mean, I was a single mother. I actually loved being a single mother. I had a really, really close relationship with the children. My work was going quite well. Was pretty broke, but I was, it was, it was okay. I was making it work. Yeah. Um, and then when I had the third, Evangeline, I felt like I've got to, I felt like an increasing sense. And then it, and then I had my fourth dash little boy of like, I've got to um, give the kids the same kind of childhood that I had, which yeah. was out in the countryside and and them kind of, you know, an idyllic idea of them running around in a big garden and stuff like that. And I was living in a house in Oxford with, with the third and fourth that was, it was basically like living in a flat because the kitchen and sitting room were on the first floor and it didn't have a garden. So right. in order to go outside and do anything, you had to take everybody out all the time. And I felt like I was kind of shut into this house with these, with all my babies and... And yeah, the the you know that sort of yearning for the yearning and melancholy of of motherhood, yeah. I'm totally fascinated by, and whether it is linked to grief in some way or another. It's but. hard, isn't it, when you like obviously different different situations, but we both had and it cut off, very mm. it's gone, mm. and I think I definitely have a pressure of like I'd like it to be as nice as possible for as long as possible mm. because I. I don't know if you have this. The ang- I have such like death anxiety. I have such worry about. But what if I go? What something what if, happens? Yeah, because no, you know I what know, it's I like. I think that like catastrophizing oh, things. God. Is, I, I feel like there's a timer on. Yeah, and I've got to grab hold of every single moment as fast as possible. And um, my, I have that. And my fear <laughs> is. I'll live to fucking 100 and I'll be like so annoying so I'll be like I did everything guys to make sure it was all done and they're like and you're and now what you're still here and you're like oh god it's awkward I sort of thought it would be a bit more dramatic and I'd be gone and okay it's like awkward petering out but it's a it's a strange feeling that isn't yeah. it that's that sense that it is a fi- you know it's a very finite there's a feeling that it's very very yeah. finite and I I think I, if you've if you've had anything traumatic as well like 
I think everybody's aware of it, but I feel like that thought is just very loud in my head. Yeah. Of like, I'm aware something bad could happen. Yeah. And so it's quite hard. I find it very hard to turn that down. It's really, really hard to turn it down. It's really imprinted itself on you. And my Pete, my husband, says to me, look, because I'm always, it was. It's been very strange, and you'll probably find this as well with your daughter. That when your child gets to the same age that you were, when I for me it was when the accident imagine, happened. Yeah. So when, well, as soon as you said that about Jimmy being your age, I was like, Ooh. oh god, that, I know. Because you're looking, and even though he's a boy, you're still looking at that little version of yourself. Totally, and, yeah. totally, and it was, oh. it was actually. I mean, it's possible, and that's when I had my my third and fourth baby when Jimmy was coming up to that age. And yeah. it's possible. I think that I was because I feel a bit calmer right now, as maybe because Lester, my youngest one, is near. He's going to be two this summer, so it does. I don't feel as kind of crazed as that last, you know, the, that first year of babyhood. Yeah. And Lester, the fifth, had, he actually had really bad reflux, so he did cry a lot, and that was quite exhausting. But Jimmy, who's now 17, like his mid-teenage life, I was really in quite a state of anxiety that something horrendous was about to happen. Which is like the accident happening yeah. again. And I all, and Pete kept, my husband kept saying to me, like, it's not, you know, it's not the same thing. It's not, it's not all it's about so to end. it's so easy to say. Mm. My therapist says it every week. I'm just like, <laughs> I know. Because... I always say to but I have this evidence. I have this evidence of my life yeah. that it was fine and it got snatched. Mm. And she was like, yes, but look at all these other things. I'm like, mm. I don't see those other things. Mm. I just, it's so imprinted as a 15-year-old girl, everything's fine, everything's not fine. And that, like you said, that line, that moment, that yeah. moment. And it's really hard to let that go and not, and not stress about it. really weird, the feeling because all of that is true, something, you know, the, the same thing is not going to happen again. Yeah, and and yeah. I was 16 when it, ha- when it happens, but Jimmy is now 17. He's past the age that I was. <laughs> I, I, bet, I feel good about that. Like, he's, he got it. He got through. But um, something bad is going to happen at some yeah, point as well. Yeah. That's inevitable. Yeah. That's what we were talking about a few moments ago. You know, it, just it is part of being human. Yeah. And sometimes I look at my children and I think, oh, my God, you know, what, what things are you going to have to face? Yeah. But also, I mean, that in itself is really interesting as well because I was, um, when I did my book last year, I was doing, I did an event with Decca Aitkenhead, actually, who um, is a brilliant writer, brilliant journalist, and she wrote her really um, incredible memoir, All at Sea, about oh, the yes, death of yes. her husband. I know, I've got that book, and I was yeah. like, I haven't read it yet. Yes, yeah, yeah. And she was saying that, you know, in life you feel, and I definitely feel this, I feel drawn to people who have had trauma and who've mm. had the, you know, faced the big big massive great big challenges and those people are feel interesting and they feel compelling and they feel sympathetic and empathetic and the people that you want to talk to but then obviously with your own children you don't want to like wish yeah yeah you want them to have interesting yeah yeah, but you don't want them to go through what you went through (laughs) exactly yeah Yeah, it's very true because again it's like how you spin things isn't it like I do I define myself by my dad dying then Mm. like it totally makes me who I am and it's affected a lot of things but the fear that she'll she'll go through that yeah is like it's my worst fear like yeah. it just makes me feel sick but yet yeah that is interesting but I almost felt like I I was so worried about it with Jimmy getting to up to that age that I almost felt like I'm going to end up doing something awful in order to make it yeah, happen again no I know because well. you do worry about yourself don't you <laughs> I know exactly you think oh god what am I going to do like because it is I mean I'm not even I'm not even at that where, you know, the bit you are. I can't imagine when I see her at 15, I'm going to find that very mm. hard. But then also my automatic thought is, if she gets to 15, if I get to, if I get to see that. Like, my <laughs> yeah. brain just loves to fucking catastrophize. The fear of it all. Oh, the fear. So, um, 
you have your five children mm. and your mum's still in the care home. What happened? Like, how did she die then? What eventually so happened? So she, um, so she actually died when I was pregnant with my fourth. Oh. With my fourth, so my youngest Lester didn't actually meet her, but she, um, she was in care homes. Um, I mean, there's about two or three that she was in until. Um, until 2013 and it was very strange because it was she had very very profound brain damage and she had a lot of medical issues mm. around that um she developed eczema all over her body God. which was really painful and then she was doubly incontinent and those two things would react with each other and she would get infections and stuff like that oh. and she had to have all her teeth taken out because she'd like refused to brush her teeth or have her teeth brushed so she was getting ulcers and she had epilepsy she, she had she was dealing with a lot of like um, physical pain as well as possibly and we won't know what it is but possibly really extreme torment you know or moments of understanding about something that had happened before but she was in this this state and she was alive and she was actually you know I'm quite a kind of physically strong person I'm very much very very like her actually and in physically her hands and stuff and she so she wasn't a tiny frail little mm. thing she was kind of and and also her mother died in her 90s her wow. aunt died in her like 102 or something yeah. so we thought she might live for a long long time in fact I thought my entire adult I might be an old woman by the time mum actually even yeah. died and and I did you know I can say now I did want her to die as well. Like yeah, it was a real course. sense I mean, I, that she was in love. I don't blame me for that. That's an unbelievable th- amount of stuff to deal with, to the see your mum in that pain. Yeah. yeah, the suffering that she went through and actually that my entire family went through because yeah. we were all... Going to see her was always really, really, really sad. Mm. It was always... It was never a nice... You know, it was yeah. never enjoyable, and I'd sit with her and try and like I'd talk to her, and it's very weird as well talking to someone who can't talk back, and you just have this like monologue that goes years. on for two years, and I'd go in with one husband and two children, <laughs> and then come back, have no husband, have another child, another husband. So all these massive things were happening in my life outside, yeah. and she was just in this home. But then she um developed a kidney failure basically oh, wow. and the doctor rang the her GP rang me up and said oh she's you know she's probably not going to make it through like the next 3 weeks and then but then she did and then she she was kind of okay and then then your brain is a kind of like snooker balls yeah. of confusion because you've been told she's going to die and you say so you brace yourself for grief and then she doesn't die but then, the, you know, I had wanted her to die. And then she doesn't die. So then you're sort of slightly thinking, how long is this going to go on yeah, for, you know? And yeah. I've kind of been at her bedside for the last 20 years. Yeah. Am I going to... You know, this thing of being on high alert all the time oh. is really, really difficult to live with. But she actually did after... So she, they said she'd, you know, she might not make it through a month. And she died about nine months later. And she died, it was actually, it was very strange. It was actually quite a shock when it happened. Like mm. she deteriorated really, really rapidly wow. right at the end. And so she went from being, sitting in her chair and she would drink a cup of tea or whatever to like, she just suddenly looked like someone in the last sort of week, really. She suddenly, it became clear that she was going to die. She suddenly looked like a very, very old, mm. frail, frail lady. And um, and it was, I was with her in the in the moments when she died, actually. And it was at dawn and it was pretty, in, it was, it's pretty incredible, appalling, interesting kind of 
strange, terrifying moment of of it all end. You know, it yeah. all being over. Her that life must have been over. so. You've been sat there for twenty two years waiting, really w- waiting expecting for that, it, wait, yeah. expecting, waiting, yeah. bracing, yeah. And then you're there, and it happens. And then, and then it happens, and and um. And I was with my sister Nell that afternoon, and we'd all my brothers and sisters. We'd all been together, and then at the end, at the end of the day, it was just me and Nell. And we were like packing up her bedroom from the nursing home, which just felt so unbelievably sad. And Nell said. Nell said, I feel like a, a, fi- a very long film has just finished yeah. because you've just been watching this this kind of life go- forever. And I felt like, um, I actually felt like, you know that scene in, you know, you know Gladiator? Yes. Yeah, <laughs> you know Russell Crowe in yeah. Gladiator? You know by the end of the film, he's like stumbling oh, around. Oh, yeah, yeah, and he's, he's all so exhausted. He's so he's exhausted. Done everything. Yeah, yeah. And his body is all like ripped and, yeah. and, you know, he's got cuts and bleeding and he's got like a sword and a shield maybe. I honestly felt like, I felt like Russell Crowe, <laughs> <laughs> like stumbling <laughs> off a battlefield. Well, yeah, I'm not surprised. Like, And I, I really, really, when I, so I wrote this memoir a couple of years ago about this whole journey. And when I was writing it, I got to the end of the book and then I realised I was writing this epilogue, which was about the fact that I'd been living with what I thought was grief, mm. which I had been living with grief because there'd been this profound it's sense definitely of loss. A, yeah, a grief, yeah, of but, course. But what I'd really been living with was trauma and trauma yeah. and grief are really different things. And trauma is kind of my experience of trauma. And obviously, we all have different experiences, but my experience of trauma is it's something lively and almost kinetic and mm. energetic. And throughout my, after mum's accident, I went off around the world and did some fairly crazy things living with... I mean, I lived in... A, and they were always I, sort of horse-related. So I went to live in Ireland and lived with New Age travellers and was wow. living in a horse-drawn wagon for two years and buying and selling horses. And then straight after university, I went off to um, America and I lived in Texas and I was working on a ranch and riding in rodeos and stuff and riding wow. quite dangerous horses. So, yeah. And then, I, and then I sort of... Uh, later on, I was in Russia with this horseman for quite a long time, <laughs> um, who who I'd met in. He was in England performing, and then I went over to the Caucasus Mountains, which is quite a dangerous place to go to. It's like beside Chechnya. Mm. The point of this is that when I was writing the epilogue, I realised that people used to say to me, "Oh God, all those things that you went and did were so self-destructive, and it must have been because of your mum. And mm. why did you go and get on the most dangerous sort of horses possible?" And I. I I wrote something in the epilogue about the fact that I felt like going off on these kind of wild adventures with quite wild men was actually was quite good fun, I have to say. <laughs> as well. I mean, that was the point of it. It was good fun. But also it felt like my way of surviving and it yeah. felt like I was in battle with... The, I was on this sort of battlefield with trauma and I wasn't going to let the trauma get the better of me yeah. and basically sort of destroy me. And the way of going out into the dangerous places was a way of sort of facing it all the time that's and that was so, really really u- writing that was really useful but that's so fascinating i think that's so and also i i mean as ever cod psychology it's never as simple as like oh you 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 went to look for dangerous horse it's like yeah you like i think that's so because i guess your mum's illness as well and her trauma is just very like you said it's just happening mm. so i can totally see mm. that urge to go well i'm gonna go and do, do something because i can't do anything yeah so i am gonna get that horse and battle it and yeah. win because this is something that's yeah. t- 
tangible. And it's also like the opposite, because she was, you know, in these in a nursing home, which is, you know, fairly claustrophobic. Yeah. The fact that I could go out into these wild oh, places God, yeah. was, was my kind of way. And also because... Because something deeply traumatic had happened to me when I was 16, I do think that that was the a kind of desire for, I mean, I call it strong motion, for to feel things really, in a really, yeah, really intense yeah. way. It was, al- it was almost into my DNA. It was almost into my sort of experience yeah. of being an adult, I suppose. I can't do... I, I was saying this other day on another podcast, like, I, I just do intense. Yeah. Like, I can't really do light. <laughs> no, and I, no. I was at a party on Saturday. Within two minutes, I was talking to someone about, you know, like, the mortality, what it means yeah. while we're at this full-on cool party, everyone having a nice time, everyone drunk. And I was like, just I like, totally the same. I just can't. Do, and I, I fought that my whole life of, like, there's something wrong with me. And now I'm just like, I had this very intense experience. Yeah. And... I guess the only thing I can like relate it to is like, you know, like I had friends when I was a teenager and like their first boyfriend was all wild. And then after that, they just couldn't go normal. Yeah. <laughs> so, like every boyfriend would have to be wild. Yeah. And I feel the same thing. Like when your first like taste of trauma is very intense mm. and painful, it's like mm. you go, well, I need mm. to, I need to keep doing it to keep understanding it because mm. I'm still making sense of it. But I like hearing that, what you say about that, you know, straight away you go oh, into, because actually I found that, I don't know if you ever, like when with your daughter being a baby have done any baby groups or anything but I when I have tried to do baby groups I, I just found myself asking the most yeah. basically inappropriate questions <laughs> you know, I'll be sitting in a ring supposedly singing wind the bobbin up or something and suddenly I'm asking someone like what's their experience of death or domestic yeah. violence or <laughs> you know and 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 I just it doesn't sit very well in a baby group type yeah, of no. type of context. I found baby groups very difficult, very <laughs> difficult. Unless and then sometimes you would find another intense intense yeah. mum, and then you'd both be like, "Yeah, yes. depression," <laughs> and also this, and my boobs were doing it. Like I just feel like I just want to be like, let's get it out of yeah. straight away. Yeah, yeah, I can't. Definitely. I'm happy for wind the bobbin up a couple of verses, <laughs> but then I want. And again, who's who's to say? Maybe you'd have been like that anyway. Yeah, if your mum, yeah, happened to your mum. But it, yeah. it, like I said, it life turns up certain parts of you doesn't it yeah, I think definitely. it definitely turned up my need to connect and communicate and be intense with people very quickly yeah. because I, I still have that like there isn't time yeah. I think there isn't time yeah, to yeah. muck around for, for with for anything other than that yeah, like, I totally yeah, agree with you, you like if you're going to just cut to the chase yeah and I, I, I can't do I don't mind this but I can't do bullshit mm. I find that really hard of like oh we're all just joking I'm like no let's just talk about the fact we're all going to die and let's get that done because yeah. we might all die and then we won't have had that conversation yeah. <laughs> it's so intense don't you, party. haven't you found though that um, having kids has made has like intensified that as well yeah I, I think doing a podcast again that <laughs> yeah again it's the things people say to you like I chose to do that I chose to start this podcast talking about death as I was you know I was pregnant and then I've continued to do it as mm. I've hit the 20th anniversary of my dad's death mm. and you know lots of people have said is this is this a good thing you're like Good isn't the right word. Yeah, like I just it's the only thing. It's the only thing. Yeah. I just need to. Yeah, definitely. I, like yes, it'd probably be more. Like, I don't know, safer not, not to do to, those things. But that's but you, not. But you need to kind of. Yeah, you want to invest. Keep investigating. So you were there when she died. You I was there when she died. Yeah, and I was like, pregnant with Dash. I was pregnant with with my fourth when she died. Actually, how pregnant were you? 
I was, um, he was born in April. I was about five months pregnant. Oh. Yeah, I was about five yeah. months pregnant. Enough for the hormones to really... Yeah, definitely. Although actually then when when it was then the grief, you know, that first few weeks of intense yeah. grief, I was actually really quite relieved that I couldn't drink at that point. Oh. <laughs> because I really fucking well wanted yeah. to drink. And, wow. and I'm sure it would have made the pain so much worse, yeah, actually, yeah. definitely. And being able to go through the grieving process with complete kind of clarity, yeah. I suppose. And also, you know, when you're pregnant, you do have that kind of... I was I quite enjoy that middle bit of pregnancy when you're sort of not too massive. Mm, you haven't nice got morning it's sickness. nicer it's than nice. You feel quite energetic and yeah. quite powerful in a way. Yeah. Um, so, and you had Dash. Yeah. And did you say you did have postnatal depression? I had I had postnatal depression with um, Evangeline, who's the, who's older than Dash, and then I had it again with Dash as well. But then I was thinking, I'm not surprised. Like your mum had just and died. My mum had just died. Like, yeah, that must and be also so something connected really, to... really amazing happened to me when I was giving birth to Dash. So she, all the other kids had met mum, you know, yeah. before before she died. But um, with Dash, and then Leslie, who comes after him, but with Dash. Um, I was giving birth and I was in that part of labour where you just think you're having really big contractions and you just think, I can't do this. I just want to escape. I'm just going to leave. You know, I'm just going to leave the room. <laughs> yeah. I just can't fucking well do this. So I, just I'm scared. Stay in there. They'll stay in there. It's fine. <laughs> and and I was in this incredible... I gave birth in the hospital in Oxford and there's a really wonderful maternity unit at the top of the hospital and I had this incredibly strong sense, not in a like woo-woo way, not in a sort of oh, a feeling of her, but I had a, just a really, really strong feeling that she, my mum was suddenly in the room oh. and that she was saying, uh, right, come, you know, come towards me, come towards me, come over. Because I personally believe that when, when we're in labour, we go to that point which is like, touching you know I'm not this is not a, a, an original idea other people have lots of other pe- people have written and thought about this and Tolstoy wrote about it I know in um Anna Karenina I think but um that you touch the kind of brink between life and death Definitely. you know you are not of this it's, world you're not just in a room you're the in a most insane different experience. place however you have however however yeah. it happens to you it is the most insane thing, yeah. And I felt like up until that point, my body was resisting, going, I can't do this. The pain. I'm wanting to run away from the mm. pain. And she said, come over. And she sort of beckoned me forwards. And, that, and at that point, I moved into the... Actually, I find it quite heartbreaking. Yeah. To talk about. I moved towards her into the other place where she was because she was dead at this point. And at that point, the labour became easier. Then I, well, it didn't become easier, but then I sort of started like pushing yeah, the yeah. baby out and then it was dash. And I do genuinely feel that I saw her and that she was like helping me through yeah, that moment. That's amazing. And that I was on, you know, she was in the place that you are when you're dead and I was in the place that you are when you're still alive but then we sort of met in the middle because I was in childbirth (laughs) and when Dash was born he was actually quite ill when he was born I had a bit of a difficult time for the first um, because he's a really funny great big huge blonde big fat boy now but he was a tiny tiny baby and he wouldn't eat very much and so I had to go when he was two weeks old I had to go into hospital with him and they said he might be really ill it was quite difficult and traumatic and I think that maybe that kind of precipitated you know some kind of postnatal depression and I also we were talking earlier about you asked me whether you know whether I felt like I was always 
having to kind of go after, you know, trying to create the memories. Yeah. Definitely after Dash was born, I felt like this overwhelmingly powerful sense of, of the, the, that responsibility we were talking mm. about. And I've got to like, and I've, I've got to kind of give them the same childhood. And at that point, we moved out of Oxford and we moved into the countryside, which is not like a massively big deal. But at the time, it felt like quite a big deal moving my almost teenage son out into the countryside. And my husband is not at all, you know, he'd like lived in cities all his life. So that all felt quite a big upheaval. Yeah. Um, and and I had the feeling again of 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 depression, of um of being separated from the rest of the world in a sort of state of grief with the yeah, baby. It's yeah. so strange, isn't it? I really feel for people who have to go through it and in the middle of having a baby. Because I I even though it brought up a lot of stuff for me having a baby and I definitely have yeah, you know, the grief comes back in mm. because of the whole childbirth thing. I have had a couple of friends who either got pregnant very quickly after losing a parent or, yeah, it happened while they're pregnant. And I really think it... Because it, it's such... It's, it's a massive, so, it's like, so massive. crucible of emotions yeah, to be really holding, is. isn't it? And to lose your mum after such a long time as well, of, like, waiting... Did you feel like... Did you feel like your grief had been on pause and then you were just able to do it, finally? Yeah, I definitely felt like... Um, I... D- I I thought that I had been grieving, but yeah. actually I realised when she died, this feeling of something, the kind of... Because until you've actually experienced grief, you don't know, know. what the, the physicality of it. I found absolutely yeah. extraordinary, like walking down the street and feeling like... You know, when you see footage of somebody who's on the moon or something like that and you can hear that breathe, you know, with a, yeah, when you can yeah. hear somebody breathing and like that. And I felt like I was walking, the, I felt like the pavement was completely uneven and my feet couldn't couldn't stand on the ground oh, properly. Yeah, and I yeah. felt, even though I had children and a husband, I felt like very, very incredibly lonely and mm. alone as well and I felt a strong desire to be with my sisters my, my oh, siblings yeah, that family basically. needing to be with people who yeah suddenly put you back in that family yeah. position yeah definitely that felt really 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 strong <laughs> but the kind of um and I wrote actually I wrote a piece for the telegraph about because I became really fascinated by the grieving process and whether kind of different um nationalities and different eras and different religions did it better than us yeah yeah you know, oh, I yeah. thought <coughs> the constant search for is there a good way of a doing a good way this? of doing it yeah and yeah. I was really interested by the way the Victorians did it of like yeah. completely you know the ritual of grief and the pageant of grief and like dressing their houses with black yeah. curtains and all black clothes and mourning lockets and they would have to wear like black underwear and and for and year, I actually, it? it was like yeah it was a long time but then it was actually thought of as a kind of patriarchal form of oppression of women because a woman would have to grieve more kind of publicly and more in a higher way for her husband than she would for her child oh wow so um it was one of the things that the suffragettes did was to like move away from that grieving process that was quite that was that was something that felt but it's so interesting because i think as with all things every time something like they're right the suffragettes definitely suffer look I'm with the suffragettes I'm not anti them <laughs> I think they were good they're right to move away from that grieving process but whenever something's moved or changed obviously there's consequences and we talk about this a lot of like I think the public display mm. ha- is a shame that we don't have that especially in kind of like I'm talking from a very western secular um, you know I'm trying to make sure I cover heteronormative <laughs> like 
the idea of not being able to wear a black armband mm. or wear black and then mm. people don't know why you can't walk down a pavement. Yeah. I think it's a shame that we've lost that sense. No, definitely. But obviously Victorians went too far as they did with a lot of things. Yeah. See the empire. Like it's, it's a shame that those rituals came from a good place but then obviously they get twisted into other things. Yeah, but it also makes you really realise in the way that we live now we have very few um, rituals and conventions. If you're not religious, and actually, yeah. No, and, and I have to yeah. say after mum died I absolutely crave, I mean I was brought up in the Church of England but not massively religious but I did really, really crave the solemnity of yeah. going in, you know, I went to mass and I wanted to like really, I want, I couldn't stand being out in the normal world and like people just, you know, that Auden poem about Stop the Clocks is just so brilliant because you do think, how the fuck is the world just going on? <laughs> how come everyone, and the weird thing was actually Mandela died when at this in the same week or two weeks oh, as well. Wow. So the whole world was actually mourning wow. at the same time. It was yeah. quite an amazing, amazing sense that there was this like massive sense of grief. Grief, And obviously it was for mum. You know? <laughs> That's what it felt yeah. like to me. Well, um, I had the weird thing that the year before my dad, so like maybe like four months before, um, Princess Diana died. Oh, really? And everyone had been going on about morning, morning, you know, yeah. and it was still kind of going on yeah. when he died. And again, I remember that feeling of like, yeah, I liked it. <laughs> I yeah. was like, good, this yeah. feels right. We should all be feeling a bit sad about everything. Yeah. Like it, because there's nothing worse than walking down the road and seeing people laughing and being like, no. how are you laughing? No, I know. How are you walking and yeah. eating and laughing? Yeah. When I can't do any of those things. But like, do you think there should be... You can't really say there should be... How would we be doing it? How could we sort of help people better? I just sort of wish... I think the baby on board badge is an incredible invention, right? Mm. You know, what they did before that, I don't know. But the fact that now we have a society where if I'm six weeks pregnant and throwing up every day, I have this badge. You know, if you're not listening, this is what you wear on the tube. And then people go, oh, that woman needs a seat. Yeah. Like, and I feel like some kind of symbol, <laughs> like just grieving, Yeah. you know, hashtag new to the dead club. And then just have somebody be like, oh, please go in front of me. Mm. Oh, uh, you, oh, excuse me, madam, you dropped your hat. Like, I don't know. I want yeah. the 40s. I think I want the 40s. <laughs> but just like, I feel you like... You put a cloak over this puddle yeah, for you. just like that, that care. I mean... I suppose it's that it's a cliche as ever that people say you know don't judge people everybody's fighting their own hidden battles yeah. and I think because I am very aware of grief and I'm in the grief club yeah. I feel like if I knew or if I could see just that look you could give someone yeah. of like hey you know like yeah. I know how you feel or yeah. I, you know I've been through it I just think I just think badges are a good idea. Yeah. <laughs> it seems like the simplest, easiest way to do it. But my mum always says that you know she wore the black armband when her grandparents mm. died, and they had to wear it to school. Mm. And she was like, people were just a bit careful with you, yeah. or would say, "Oh, I'm sorry." Yeah. And I think that's what we've lost in the ritual is that sense of it being acknowledged. And I think you know we live in a very anonymous way. Mm. Like you can tell you can lie you can make your instagram life look amazing and you can hide and so i think it's hard for people to acknowledge sometimes what's happening to you because they don't they just don't know they don't know no and also we sort of like 
you know, if you're in love, you're, it's a kind of, you know, like we celebrate the yeah, lovers yeah, with yeah. Valentine's Day and love songs and yeah, why hearts and roses. Mourner's Day? But we don't, but, you know. Oh, that's but, a good idea, But bereaved to sort of like yes. taken off, you know, they're in a private space. Don't disturb them. And you I know, think, yeah, I think that's happen it. To People them. who aren't in the club mm. feel like, oh, oh, I better leave them alone. Mm. And so you feel more lonely. Mm. And that's what I'm constantly talking about. It's like, no, 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 bash on their door. Yeah. Those people who are like, oh, I'm fine, leave me alone. That's, they need the door yeah. hand down. They need you to turn up with food, yeah. uninvited, and yeah. just be in your house. To be there. No, and also to go on, not just, you know, because I think that we also assume there's like, um, you know, people, so if somebody dies and it's about two weeks when there's a funeral, yeah. and, and, and then after that it's kind of back to work, back to normal. Yeah. It might feel a bit sad, but like normal life resumes. And the, the feeling of the disbelief and the anger and the, um, the, shock the kind of unreality yeah. of it, yeah, is goes on for for such a long time. And trying to shuffle people through it as quickly as possible, I think, isn't, yes. isn't kind of the right way... No. To be to be doing things, and again, I, this is where it comes back to childbirth. You have a kid. People give you, you know, two weeks or six months of like, oh, yeah, and then they're like, okay, now shuffle mm. through. Please mm. start behaving normally. Yeah. And you're sort of, I felt very like, oh, I, I can't behave normally. I don't yeah. understand what's being asked of me yeah. because everything's changed. Yeah. And it reminded me so much of being fifteen and going, I can't be at school like a normal teenager yeah. because everything's changed. Why am why is everyone expecting me to act the same? How long do you feel since your daughter's been born? Like, how long do you feel that 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 feeling of of things being different and odd? And how long did, did that go on I for? Would, you? I think again, similar to grief. I think the first twelve months, yeah, I would say, yeah. are the worst. Yeah. And there's a phrase I've used a lot, which is you have to go through every season. They say mm. with grief, mm. so you have to have each season without that person. Mm. And somewhere in your brain, you're like, they didn't see winter, they didn't see flowers, mm. you know. And I feel like that with. You see the baby, you know, my baby was born in winter and it was cold and then the, I saw her grow as the flowers came out and then she was in her little dresses mm. and then we hit winter again and I was like, wow, we did it. Mm. Like, <laughs> we got through that year. Yeah. And I had a, I mean, it's, everyone's different, but I had a huge thing about 12 months and I think grief doesn't go away after 12 months. Being a mum, it doesn't get magically brilliant at 12 months, but just, I think something in human beings needs each season and needs a year. Yeah. And I think that I always the say cycle. to people, and we, yeah, and then when we get cycle. around to the winter again, when you've gone through the yeah. four cycles, it's like, oh, here, here, here we, we are, are again. again, and I have, I've kind of survived it and gone. And through they're not, it. they're not here. And I guess for mm. you, like, I haven't visited her for mm. a year. That's what mm. now. Mm. It's that's definitely my life. Mm. It feels like that's how long mm. it takes for your brain. You know, they say like it takes two weeks for like nicotine to get out of your system. I feel like <laughs> it takes twelve months for your body, for your brain to literally accept some to accept, accept someone's it. dead. Yeah. Because I think, and even then, you, I think after 12 months, I definitely, it was like, okay, mm. he's dead. Mm. Now I've got to deal with it. Mm. <laughs> like, now mm. how do I feel about it? Because mm. I think for 12 months, I was just like, what? Yeah, you're kind of reeling, really, still, But then it must you? be so different because you were, like you said, you were grieving, sort of grieving for such a long time. I think that's really interesting what you said about trauma and grief. Because I think I do speak to a lot of people who say... Um, oh, well, my parent is sick or, you know, they have Alzheimer's or dementia. And I, I feel like I, and I always think it's such a different, it's different thing. It's really it's different. It's such a different thing yeah. once someone is really gone. No, and because I had it for such a long time, I did, and mum was in nursing homes with people, you know, elderly people who had dementia or Alzheimer's. And that, at the longest, I think I'm right in saying something like Alzheimer's, you know, may last for like 12 years. Mm. So I had 
we all had like a long time to kind of examine what was going on, I yeah. suppose. Um, although I think it took about a decade, honestly, for us to accept. I mean, I know that, speaking for myself, that she wasn't going to get better because mm. for, for the first few years, what had happened was so awful. We were all sort of saying... When she gets better, you know, it wasn't as though... So she lived at home for two years and then she was in rehabilitation centre and then she went into nursing home. We didn't then think, okay, this mum, you know, this Mm. is it. We still thought she's going to get better and keep on going and visiting her and taking things and she's going to get better, she's going to get better. And I think that we were telling ourselves that in order to be able to survive what this, like, profound, profound sense of of loss, but also the horror... Because... Because if you'd said, like, mum's going to be... Like this. She's going to be in this state, actually. Mm. And, and, you know, if she died, it would have been... It would have been appalling, but it would have been more straightforward because there would have been, you know, the funeral, there would have been all the kind of things to organise, then there would have been a more... As you say, like a year, you know, not yeah. it wouldn't have, it would have been fine after a year. Of course, it wouldn't have been fine after a year. But because she was just in this, it was though someone like just pressed pause yeah. on on everything. Do you feel angry? Do you feel angry that your life kind of got paused? Did that? Um, I feel really, really. I feel. I don't think I feel angry. I feel upset still for her that she's missed out on so much. Yeah. I feel really really upset for my children yeah. like I really find that really upsetting oh. that they missed out on a yeah. grandma you know her as a grandmother and I do have a feeling of sometimes like intense really really green eyed jealousy towards people we who talk have about that a lot <laughs> and that's... oh my god we talk about it so much people especially I think once you have kids the grandparent thing yeah if I see people with like the two, I mean, people I, say, I find oh, granddad's being difficult. really like, annoying. People say yeah, my mum's yeah. being so annoying at the moment. I just think, oh God, just try and, you know, in, know. enjoy their presence in some way. Or I find it very hard when people compl- complain, and mm. I, in an in a rational way, because of course people are annoying. Like, mm. and I would moan about my mum, you know, because uh, my dad isn't here, mm. and I would happily, but oh, yeah, she did this, blah, 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 blah. but I. Yeah, I f- we talk about that a lot. I find it very hard if people are like, oh, the bloody grandparents around. I'm like, grandparents? No, I know. <laughs> like, you're so lucky. Yeah. And I, but then, you know, it's you can't make people, you can't shove no. their face in the shit and be like, look, <laughs> look what it could be like. It's, but it is, I think that's a new pain. Yeah. A new pain that you grieve for them and your relationship. And then when you have kids, it's like, oh, hi, new pet. I didn't know I'd have to grieve for them as a grandparent yeah exactly I just grieve for them as my parent yeah Yeah, it's it's really tough yeah especially like you said she was obviously great with kids and your brain goes oh they would have been this she would have been a brilliant brilliant grandmother I kind Mm. of the only way I spin it I don't know what you do but he would I mean he was a difficult dad but he would have been a great grandpa he would have been and the only way I spin it is like some people don't have that some people oh, totally. have, have lame grandparents. No, that, totally. And I think, well, at least I know he would have been a good. No, you know? I mean, I feel like, oh, I had an amazing mother for 16 yeah. years. I mean, what an amazing blessing yeah. and gift that is. I've, I had an amazing mother and, and I can hopefully give the kids stuff, you know, which is absolutely passed on from her. Yeah. Um, and I mean, I wish it was her doing it. Yeah, yeah. I wish it was her. But um, but but I do, yeah. I feel I feel like I'm really, 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 really lucky to have to have had her as a as a as a mom, and and that's what you kind of try and hold on to through the because the the feeling of it coming back and and of missing. I was 
with my son actually in a restaurant. In fact, it was the day of the. I took him to his parents' evening. We went to the classroom where I was, where when I heard that she'd had the accident, and then later on I took him out. We went to this Thai restaurant, and had supper. I saw somebody walking past the restaurant who just vaguely looked like her. Yeah, and you still get that feeling of like, oh my god, oh, like being so sort of much, hit yeah. by a sense of loss or shock, almost like a kind of you know, it's like being pinched or something yeah, like that, yeah. isn't it? It's quite a physical feeling still of longing. It's, I think, it, I guess one of the things, the obsession we're talking about as well is like, it's just very hard to explain. And mm. I don't know if you have this. I still feel like I haven't nailed it. Yeah. I still feel like I try, I try and I say all these jokey things and I still think, no, it's not quite, it's not quite, like I know that what you're talking about, that feeling when you see someone. It's, it's such a strange sensation, the mm. fact that 20 years on, mm. I still get like, you know, mm. oh, that, that, guy, guy, that guy looks like my dad. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm remembering a man 20 years ago. Like, yeah. He wouldn't have looked like that. How old was he when he died? He was 44. Was he, so he was really, really mm, Yeah, he was really young. young. And it's funny, you talk about ages, like my my brother's not not there yet, but I, I feel like I'm very aware of like, oh, we're coming up to yeah. that. We're coming up to my brother being that age, yeah. which is, yeah. Yeah, it's just the way that human beings place significance on things which mm. I'm sure you can be like mm, it doesn't matter but of course it does it fucking yeah. does it, yeah. you know you can analyse it away all you like but yeah he was he was 44 which is at the time I thought was the very old yeah, yeah very, sure. you know people kept saying he was young and I remember thinking don't know if you had this with your mum thinking mm, she was quite old quite old, <laughs> quite old. <laughs> she was quite old yeah, yeah mum was in her early 50s oh god and I remember thinking she's, and also because she I was the last of the five children yeah, so yeah. She, as I will be to my youngest. In fact, Jimmy was saying, "God, I feel so sorry for Lester. You're just going to seem like <laughs> you're going to be such an old mum at the school gates." Because oh. obviously, when he was little, I was like in my mid twenties. So yeah, I probably did seem yeah. relatively young, but um, yeah, I I remember thinking mum was quite old, but she was fifty two, fifty one. You know, she wasn't old at all really she when she had old. the accident. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, exactly. That's the problem. Is you see everything as a teenager mm. slightly. So. I remember that people being very upset and I remember thinking, well, he was old, you know, like, guys. He <laughs> <laughs> was an old man in a way. Um, and now now I hit near it, yeah. I think, fuck. Yeah. Like, if one of my friends, that yeah. to my friends, I'd be so shocked. And, yeah. be so, and I now understand that adult shock yeah. and the adult horror, the way they looked at me as a teenager. Yeah. And I think that's the other thing, You, as you get older, if you, you know, if you get the privilege of getting older you do start to understand people's reactions to you. Mm. Like, oh, yeah, that's why they were so upset for me. But mm. at the time, I was like, you don't get it. You don't understand. And yeah. Like, like, oh, yeah, they did. They did understand yeah. how sad that was. So what anniversary... So it was 2013 mm. that she died. So mm. oh, my, every time on this show... 30, 40, what, what anniversary have you come, are you coming up to? Um, five years. Five years, Five wow. years of her death. Yeah. yeah, of her death. Yeah. But it must the anniversaries must feel strange for you because... Yeah, I mean, I actually find the anniversary of her accident is more Yeah, loaded. I was going to say, that must be more... That's in November. Yeah. And um, that feels more like... Uh, I mean, that's just always been such a massive date in my life. But that's, feel, and it also happens in November when the world is, like, getting dark and it's yeah. wintry. And so, and the, and also after the accident, I just remember driving. Or we would because we lived about an hour from where she was in hospital, and she was in hospital for like four months, five months to start with. So we were driving to hospital every day. So it was that thing of always driving through the night to go and or the darkness. It felt like to go and see her on really cold days in when she was in 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 intensive care in Bristol. And um, 
that kind of period of time, you know, that time of the year always like it just reminds you of, and yeah. it's like it's like kind of atavistic sort of physicality that you can't. You know, you can't escape from it. It's just kind of there inside you. I'm not. Feeling. I'm not surprised at that anniversary because that is when you lost mm. her. Mm. Really, isn't it? That mm. was like. Yeah, definitely. I mean, weirdly, she actually died in December as well. Oh, so wow. it's this all at the same all, time, all of together, year. <laughs> the whole time of year. Yeah, yeah. That's it's really hard. Mm. And how are you feeling about the like the five years? Do you feel? Do you feel your grief has changed in those five years or are you still processing the beginning bit? Well, I think that there's... I mean, it changes. It really changes. And, I mean, something really, really awful happened. I didn't actually mean to talk about this particularly, but at the end of last year, her sister, who was incredible very very energetic vital brilliant woman and only 70 um was killed in an accident oh. and and it was very has been and that was very very recent mm. but it's been very strange mum and my aunt Teresa, like both mum wasn't killed in the accident but it's like you know them both having yeah. these lives cut cut yeah. short because my aunt although she was 70 she you know she should have had another two decades easily yeah and so i think that um and she was the second there was a person that i've strong like felt strong greet mum and her yeah, yeah. for and so i think that has changed my experience of grief because it's become I now see it as something more, I mean, grief is layered in any way. You know, we know about the different stages of grief and how they can swap around and the kind of, but but when you when you lose somebody, when some, you know, when it happens again, I suppose, yeah. is... Um, I think that's quite common as well. Like you're sort of like, when you, what do I, what happened to me? Like your first, your first death after yeah, is like, you're like, I got this. And then you're like, oh shit. Yeah. Like I remember when my husband's dad got cancer and died and I found it so difficult. Like yeah. it was just like flashbacks. Yeah. And it was just the same kind of nurses and the same medication being taught. And suddenly yeah. I was like almost panic attacking, just like, oh, yeah. oh I'm back, I'm back. And I yeah. was, I didn't. You know, because you've sort of got your head around one. I do think it's yeah. I it's... also feel this real, incredibly strong sense of like, you know, for her children and her husband, my aunts. I feel it. it well, when you see somebody else that you really love, you know, is going through it as well. Yeah, is that yeah. is the kind of feeling of um, what is it? I almost I actually feel angry for them that they're having to go th go through it as well, and 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 the feeling of intense sympathy and empathy yeah. I suppose and you've obviously written about it as well mm. did you find that helpful I found it really 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 helpful I found it it was really I mean I'd done journalism for about 15 years but and then after mum died I knew I knew that I wanted to write about her and, and I knew also that I had all these quite you know sort of interesting stories about traveling and adventuring and and going and bravery and what bravery is and what survival is and then I got the idea for how I would structure that after she died I sort of felt like okay now I'm going to structure the her life and the sort of story as a narrative because it was like when she was alive I did bits of journalism where I wrote about her but I didn't 
I couldn't write about her life because I didn't know what was, you know, it was this yeah. unending sense yeah, of Yeah, like you said, it was still going. And yeah. it was just, like, it was a... Li- uh, this sounds like totally contradictory, but like a living sense of loss yeah, because it was yeah. just a lot. It was there all the time. It was. It was when she was alive. It, like you were left with this sort of strong, strong feeling of the loss just being around all the time. And then after she died, I thought I can. I kind of know how her story ends now, so I can write about her and write about it. And yeah, it was. It was useful, but um, I don't think the feeling of loss. Go, you know, no. people have said, oh, has it been cathartic? And and catharsis suggests that the, you want to sort of get rid of these feelings yeah. and, and become somebody, you know, afterwards there'd be a, some sort of rebirth from from getting rid of. But, but the trauma and the loss and the sadness are all totally, totally part of who I am. Yeah. And they're totally like part of the way that I communicate and part of the way that I live. And I think I actually live in a very... Um, you know, I've someone who's really gone after life, and my book is very much about like it's about living and loving and enjoying stuff, and it's very confessional, and it's it's about sort of the excitement of being alive as much as the acute pain yeah. of being alive yeah. as well, and the acute pain of of loving because you're gonna you know lose somebody yeah. as well. I think you can't you can't be someone that lives life to the full without knowing mm. what you're in a way not running from but in a way what the other is around the corner yeah. and that's why you're having a great time right now yeah and these things are intrinsically linked yeah definitely um, and so the book is available now now yeah in paperback it's in paperback at the moment which is great because yeah. no one likes a hardback I know <laughs> they're big and they're heavy yeah <laughs> but they have to come out first and what's it called what's it's the called The Wild Other The Wild Other mm. amazing well Clover thank you thank you it's so much so great oh, talking good. to you I've really really um Really enjoyed it. Found Good. it really interesting. It's been brilliant. Thank I can't you. wait to read about the hot Russian man in the Caucasus. <laughs> yeah. It's in the book, right? It is in the book. And cowboys and sex and drugs and adventures and grief. Yeah, oh, That is so up my <laughs> listeners' alley. It's perfect. Clover Stroud, thank you very much. Thank you very much. You can buy Claver's book, The Wild Other, and it's out now in paperback. It's an incredible story, as you've just heard, and absolutely beautifully written. You can also follow her on Twitter and Instagram at Clover Stroud and see herself and her wonderful five children in action. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at The Griefcast or email us thegriefcast at gmail.com. Please do also rate, review and subscribe if you have enjoyed the show. It really is so appreciated. Music was provided by the Glue Ensemble and the show was edited by Kate Holland with thanks to Whistledown Studios. And remember, you are not alone. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. <laughs>